You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. I'm not going to rob these guys of the, the, the moment of prayer, but, um, you know, just, just as, we, as we start, I just kind of wanted to say this. Um, we really, really, really love Jesus. And um, if, if there's one thing that I guess we'd ever want to help you see and one thing that we'd want to leave you with, it's, it's kind of Jesus and nothing more, if I'm honest. I, I guess I often speak on something different every week. I think all I'm really trying to do, and maybe just come at it from slightly different ways, is to say, have you, have you seen Jesus? Have you considered Jesus? Could you see a little bit more of Jesus? It says this in Galatians 6, verse 14, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether I've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon you, all who live by this principle, though a new people of God, from now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What, you know, what, it, what, what counts is that we're transformed into being more like him. I've honestly got nothing else to tell you about. But Jesus, 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 do you know him? Are all the pleasures and interests that you might have in this world crucified that we just have him and him alone? As if ever, if, if, let, let that be the case in our lives. I've launched into this new series. If I'm really honest, all I really want to just talk about is Jesus. We're, started this series last week called the empowered church if you missed any i'd I'd always encourage you to go back on them and i may up sharing and end up sharing this a few weeks in a row because i think it's so important but i shared this last week and i just want to reiterate it 1 corinthians 4 verse 11 now these are the gifts christ gave to the church the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and the teachers their responsibility is to equip god's people to do the work and to build up the church the body of christ this will continue until we all come to such unity and faith and knowledge of our god's son that we'll be mature in the lord measuring up to all the full completeness and complete standard of christ the responsibility that we have is to equip the church and whatever we've been given, each of us will have been given a deposit to be part of this body. Would it be that we use that to equip each other? So often we can get locked on and caught up in the thing we're doing, the thing we think we carry, the thing that we think the Lord is doing in us, but actually our responsibility is to equip others and to train others. It's really not about us, it's actually about him and about then releasing and empowering others to step into that. I shared briefly, last week that as we step into this series of considering and looking at being an empowered church actually i almost want to look at what it is to be a disempowered church what are the things we need to get off us before we can even step into the fullness of what we need to get on us what do we need to deal with to allow ourselves to then 
be equipped and fully live out all that he has for us. And I guess I'd, I probably need to stop apologising for this because I feel like I said it last week, but again, it's probably not the lightest thing to talk about this week. Um, but I, I, I hope what I, I've done over the last few talks, in, I guess, in this series, is take you on the journey of understanding that we're in a battle and that we're in a spiritual war and, and our faith is being actively opposed. Whether we acknowledge that or not, throughout the Bible, God's inspired and infallible revelation to us. The reality is that we discover that we have a spiritual enemy who seeks to disrupt and disorientate. And actually that should hardly come as a surprise if we look at it through the lens of reading the Bible. It's a fact. And so part of today's talk, I guess, is a follow-on from last week in which I broadly talked about some of the tactics of the enemy. And I don't want to give him credit. I don't want to talk him up. I don't want to come across with a super spiritual mindset. But what I do know is that we, we need to understand that we, we need to be resisting something because something is resisting us and that we do need to have a level of protection and discernment because fiery arrows can be coming our way. And I think the Bible is pretty clear that the enemy has foot soldiers that would be called demons and scripture portrays them as having a number of things, being intellect, emotion, wills, having self-consciousness and self-determination. And... Uh, Jumping in quite quickly, Paul uses six terms to describe demons, thus perhaps actually hinting that there is different classifications and categories of what those demonic beings might be. Uh, I'll try and keep this as light as I can, but just to give you the idea, the first would be this, principalities and rulers. A ruler must have somebody or something for which they're exercising dominion over. If you, if you wanted to fully look it up, I think you can find it in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 and 6, Colossians 1, 2 and Romans 8. The second one would be this, authorities. Again, authority by its very definition demands that it has a subordinate. I think that's where we'd take that understanding from. Again, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3 and Colossians 1. The third would be that the, there's powers I think, again, it's very scriptural to see it and understand it. You can see it just in those verses, but also much wider. Mark 9, 29, Jesus refers to a type of demon that cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The point seems to be that some demons are actually stronger and more powerful than others, which would imply a hierarchy or a differentiation based on, on strength. The fourth one is dominions, again, lordship or dominion over what and whom and where. You can find it in those passages that I, I just referenced. The fifth one would be, would be thrones. The word is used of angels only in Colossians 1, 16. And then the sixth, the final one, would be world rulers. Again, the, oh, the passages that I just mentioned, you, you can find that and see that. And what I'm really, really not trying to do is to sensationalize something or to stir our curiosity. What I'm trying to do is build a pattern of understanding to help us realize that we are resisted and we need to stand firm and we need to be equipped in our faith and that actually there is no neutral ground. And what is also important is there were people that do not live in fear of this. I mentioned last week, if you weren't here, that I'd see these things just as cockroaches that needs stamping on. 
you know when we go away on uh, holidays abroad there's there's mozzies and the kids before they go to bed they insist they demand that i run around the bedroom like a madman with my flip-flop trying to whack any that have managed to get into the room and i personally in our room i go even further i've got one of those little plug-in things that very effectively takes them down and when we go out we put a spray on and I actually have to make a strength one I also have a roll on one and all sorts and then of course I carry multiple multiple tubes no matter where we're going of ampersand for when they occasionally do just get that quick little nibble on me and I honestly some of you may I have no explanation for why it is that Steph and the kids get a couple of bites don't really hurt or irritate at all. Tiny little pinprick that they're pointing out that they think may be a mozzie but may also not be. And I'm obliterated by the jolly things and they come up like cricket boils. But I guess the flip-flop in this case would be prayer and authority given to us. So I bet you never saw that coming, did you? But 1 John 4 verse 4 says this, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And we've got to be aware of that. And we need to activate that. Just as a note, we often say, I think I even potentially said it this morning, that worship pleases God, and it does. It's for him, it's to him, it's about him. We don't want to take that lightly. We don't want to neglect it. Worship is our highest priority. We worship in spirit and we worship in truth. And we give him everything we've got. I think sometimes what we forget to remember and we also kind of need to take special note of this, is the fact that the evil spirit left Saul when David played his harp. Don't you find that interesting? If, if you wanted to read it, you can in 1 Samuel 16. But I think there's a healthy reminder throughout scripture that music has more than just some kind of psychological or emotional effect. It's way deeper than that. It has the power to drive away, to frustrate and to defeat demonic forces. 1 Samuel 16, 23, and whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hands so Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him why why did it leave why did David have such power and authority I think we see it in verse 18 one of the servants said to Saul one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player not only that he's a brave warrior and a man of God and God and sorry, and has good judgment. He also is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. The Lord was with him. You know, there may well have been other musicians in Saul's court who were more skilled than David, but David was empowered and his music did something that pierced through to the soul of Saul. The Holy Spirit was clearly infusing the melodies and the harmonies of David's music with something supernatural that agitated the demons and drove them into retreat. And we say it again and again and again and again, and I've said it multiple times, that the power of God is in the presence of God. And if we want to see evil flee, if you want to see the Lord move and do more, step into the place of worship. Honestly, worship him because his power is in his presence. In other words, music played and sung by those that love God, who are filled with God's spirit, who devote their talents to the glory of God. It does something that irritates and agitates the enemy. That's why I'd often recommend that people feel under a degree of burden or attack 
by the enemy or are suffering anything, to be honest, actually, anything and anything at any point and any time, worship God. To constantly play both instrumental and vocal worship music, whether you be at home, in the, in the car, at work, whatever the context, wherever it is, music devoted to the glory of God, played or sung by a person whom, in which the Spirit of God dwells, creates a spiritual atmosphere which is repellent and offensive to Satan and to his host. 2 Kings 3 verse 15, the king of Israel was desperate to hear the word of the Lord regarding what would happen as they engaged in a battle with the Moabites. So he sent for Elijah and Elijah then said this, but now bring me a musician. And when the music played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. You know, as he, the, the result was that Elijah prophesied. Why, why did he want somebody to play music? Well, it would appear that in a manner of speaking, music clears away. Music creates a, a, a space. It, it kind of clears away the interference between heaven and earth, and it creates a direct path of communication. Perhaps like the, the analogy I kind of was, was trying to think of and came up with, it's almost like a rain just clears away like a, a storm or the humidity sometimes or a dust cloud. The anointed and godly music creates an atmosphere in which the voice of God can be clearly heard and clearly discerned and it eliminates distractions and enables our hearts to focus on God. Surely that's why worship is so fiercely contended for. I don't know if you fully acknowledge that or realize that, but for you to actively, for you to even want to worship God can be contended for. Oh, it's not really for me. It's not how I do things. You know, I don't... I'm not sure about collective worship. You know, with everyone at church, can I just do it in my home, on my own, in my own space? Or, you know, it's, it, it is actually... It's all about a lifestyle. It's not just about the singing part of it. I, Yeah, it is all about a lifestyle. And it isn't just about the singing part of it. But actually, we come together collectively to lift our voices and our hands to worship our creator because that's what he asked us to do i would say worship is contended for and it's contended for in a local church setting it's contended for in your life so we have to pray for it we have to yearn and long that it would all be that god longs for it to be honestly pray for susan anders as they lead us and as they oversee worship in the context of this local church it's contended for Pray for them, pray for their children, pray for the worship teams, pray for you to have ease and free-flowing access to the worship of the living God. With regards to demons, I think Paul doesn't identify any de demonic being, but what he says is there's three terms that he uses regularly to describe them. The first word, I think, is the one from which we get the word demon. It's used 63 times, 44 of which are actually in the Gospels. Again, it shows you there's, a, there's an encounter, there's a clash of the kingdoms as we try and step into something. That's what the Gospels are about. The second is the one that is translated spirits. This is the one that we see in Luke 17 where it says this, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. But don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. 
within the context of that one, it's also in clean spirits, which is used 21 times, half of which are in Mark and evil spirits, which is only used eight times in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And then finally, the word that is translated angel, you can see it in Matthew 25 and 1 Peter 3 and Revelation 27. It says this though in Matthew 25, 41, then the king will turn those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the evil, sorry, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. I'm not trying to overload you this morning with Bible references. I just want you to know that I'm not making this up because it can feel that way, because we start to live without this being an, having an awareness and without being attentive to it. I said last week, Satan doesn't have a book. If he did have a book, I would highly recommend you didn't read it, but he is in our book. I don't know if you realize just how regularly he pops up in that book, clearly and repeatedly, it says stuff about him. And we've got to realize and we've got to understand that there are things that we need to learn to prevent the fiery arrows that will come at us and we need to be prepared to be people that stand firm. So what are, what are we learning? What do we, what do we need to be aware of? Well, we need to be aware that demons can speak to and communicate with humans. Well, how do we know that? We know that because that's what it says in Luke 4, Luke 8, and Acts 19. We know that they're intelligent. Again, we see it in Luke 4, Luke 8, and Acts 19. And they formulate and they propagate their own doctrinal system. We see that in 1 Timothy 4. And they bring distortions and they bring misrepresentations of the truth. Some of those things are not always the product of merely human misunderstanding and miscalculation. Paul would suggest, I think it goes more than to suggest actually, I think he says pretty clearly, that they're demonically inspired. Now, what that does not mean is that anybody who disagrees with you on a particular point of doctrine is somehow an unwitting tool of the enemy. Please don't hear me wrong, that's not what I'm saying. But I think what we can see, and when we look at 1 John 4, is that we see that demons are extremely active in promoting and populating falsehood within the church. And again, in 1 John 4, that behind false prophets, such as those that would deny the incarnation of Jesus, there are supernatural agents of the enemy. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. And yet, as I said before, we broke for August so often, we walk around just walking around in our normal lives, living normally. The, what's the, the point I'm trying to drive at is that if we do that, the flaming arrows of the enemy are going to hit, and they're going to hit pretty hard. And if we want to be a church that moves in the power of the Spirit and is seeing the kingdom of God forcefully advance, and that if we're going to be people that live empowered to live out our faith, we've got to ensure that we're protected and we're equipped to stand firm and to close off any potential entry points. Demons have emotions. They have a variety of feelings. James 2, Luke 8 tells us that. There are differences in the degree of strength to which they can operate. We see it in Mark 9. They have, and they carry sinfulness. We see it in Matthew 12. Like holy angels, demons can appear in various different forms. They can be both spiritual and physical. Matthew 4, Revelation 9, 17, verse 16. I'm, honestly, I'm not in any way trying to talk them up. 
I don't want you to leave this last couple of weeks in any way carrying or having fear. What I'm talking about is honestly cockroaches, but they need stamping on. Goodness me, the last thing we want to do is let them run around your house in your lives. You don't want the cockroaches. We need to stamp on them. So let's just look at a, a few things that I think can be helpful as we consider that. The first is this. Demons can infuse their victims with supernatural strength. Am I making that up? No, it's in Matthew 19 and Mark 5. They can physically assault somebody or cause physical affliction. Luke 9, 39, Matthew 17 shows us that. Jesus speaks of this demonized young boy. He's thrown to the ground. He's thrown into a fire or water, and there's clearly some very violent symptoms coming alongside it. In Matthew 9, 32, a man's inability to speak is attributed to a demon. See, I, I say all of that, and yet the flip side is I kind of just want to say, and also, we need to relax, because there is not a demon under every stone. Here even in that are several cases in the gospel of Jesus healing the blind or someone with a, an ability to speak that are in no way attributed to a demonic influence. I want to be quite clear about that. It says that in Matthew 9.27. And it's why, and I know I'm repeating myself, but I just want to be really clear, it's why we never go demon hunting. I don't want to sensationalize anything. I don't want to talk it up. I don't even want it to be a focus. We look for Jesus and we search out more of Jesus in people's lives. It just so happens the more we find of him, the more often the kingdoms collide. But we're looking for him and we're looking for him alone. But we do need to have an awareness and a base level understanding that we're not approaching anything of this. We're not doing any of this. We're not living any of this out on neutral ground. Demons inspire and they energize false wisdom of the world that actually can then also infiltrate the church. And poisons and interpersonal relationships can be poisoned within the body of Christ. James chapter 3, verse 13, he talks about two kinds of wisdom. The first one is that which comes from heaven and the second one is characterized by this thing that is earthly, unspiritual and actually demonic. He clearly considered that the thing that was opposing him was a force that he considered to be something that was demonic. We could go on and on and on and on, I think, with finding and giving examples of what that might look like and how that might manifest in our lives. Idols, addictions, all sorts of things. But let's not, let's not land on the thing that we're opposed by. Let's land on the thing and the knowledge and the awareness that we're anointed to do something about it. In Christ and with his authority, we can and we must resist the enemy and actually rebuke the enemy. We see it throughout the Bible, and if I'm honest, we've seen it many, many times among us. You may not feel comfortable with that or familiar with that. It happens all the time. We just don't stick it on social media because it's not really what you do. But it's all over Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It's all over Acts 5.16. It says this, Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were healed. 
Acts 8, seven and many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Again, I kind of just want to say with that one, before we jump the gun, often, 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 screaming is in a healing. It's a release from pain that people need to be freed from. We don't always jump at what might be the demonic. I know for some of you, even talking about some of that can feel scary and it can feel confusing. I'd always say, and I always see it this way, whenever somebody's had an experience where they would say they've been freed of something, when you talk to that person afterwards, the thing they're talking about is Jesus and the freedom that he's brought, not the thing that potentially was binding them. They would always say they feel more freed and more healed. We always want to be people that choose more of Jesus and we deal with whatever the thing is that is limiting us. The, fa- the focus is not the limitation, the focus is the freedom that comes through Jesus. Acts 16 verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her and instantly it left her. Acts 19 verse 12, When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. So often you hear people talk about the naturally supernatural. There's nothing natural about that. I explained that away. Handkerchiefs and aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. In Christ and his, with his authority, we can and we must resist and rebuke the enemy. But we need to know there is a battle going on. But we also need to know it is not something that we can do in our strength. There's not something that we bring in our strength that causes us to win. The defeat of the hosts of hell doesn't come from our efforts or our energetic shouting or our wild gesturing or somehow turning up the volume when we worship as though the the demonic spirits can't tolerate loud noises. You know, Paul was was clear, and I think he was quite to the point when writing to... Uh, in Colossians 2 verse 15 he said this he which is God the father or perhaps the son disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in him that's in Christ or perhaps you could say in the cross in the cross of Christ the good news is that we've been granted all authority over the enemy Luke 10 verse 19 look I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Satan and his henchmen are powerful, but they are no match for the force of Jesus. That's what I think we see in that verse and that passage. What I partly want to help us to do is to just see the crafty links that can often happen, that so often and sometimes we gloss over and we don't give the time of day. We've seen many times that so often there's almost like a, a, a like a password an obscure password i don't want to seem too cryptic about that but there is often a link between the physical and the spiritual and we often go oh it's yeah it's just it's just illness or you know oh, it's just bad luck or it's just circumstances or it's just it is what it is and so so many times over the last few months alone we've seen some of you completely unlocked and set free Ah, it's just back pain, it's just neck pain, it's just jaw pain, it's just all of that. Yeah, sometimes it is. 
But rather than always jumping in and praying for the pain to go, sometimes in the context of a healthy conversation, that obscure password can almost pop up. The Spirit of God can reveal something beyond the natural and the supernatural. For some of you, it's just sprung to mind and the Spirit of God has prompted you to say something and sometimes it's just working through the history of it and understanding it. Sometimes it's seeing if there is an obvious link to an event or to a historical experience that the Spirit of God might want to highlight and where the enemy has found a route in to, to get a stronghold and done the thing that he does, which is seek to kill and destroy often we just have to find and close that entry point. And in those places of openness and those places of vulnerability, we've seen many of you healed and many of you quite remarkably set free. I don't think that's anything different from what we read in the Gospels. You've been freed emotionally and physically. I was reflecting on someone's story and they gave me full permission to share this, but it says this. One inner vow I had made was to not get my hopes up, and this had impacted my view on the healing of Jesus. I decided not to get my hopes up and just live with the pain. I realized, sorry, I didn't realize I'd done it, but I'd given up hope in the Lord's power to heal. That's why then I'd been trying to do it all myself, trying to protect my kids, heal my body, fix others, on and on and on and on. I must do it if God won't do it supernaturally. During time of prayer together, I felt something encircling my head and binding that together. I felt it actually did have a very dark influence. Maybe with hindsight, I could use the word demonic. I had a pressure around the right side of my head. It left in the name of Jesus. I was healed and many other things started to align. Phenomenal. Sometimes when we just allow ourselves and open ourselves in the presence of God, it was by the means of the cross, as Paul says in Colossians 2.15, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities, Satan and the demons, and he puts them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, or better still, in and through the cross of Jesus. Now, honestly, in the same way that I said Last week, I'm not trying to do this massive unpicking and understanding of the book of Genesis. I just kind of want to say the same thing about the book of Revelation. I just want to mention a few things, but not go into it in its fullness. But I think there's one clear thing that I just want to highlight to you. In the same way that the enemy resists individuals, he does so often as a collective whole. Now, if I'm really honest, for me, I'm like, of course he does. That doesn't come as any surprise. If Jesus loves his church, if he's coming back for his church, surely it's a no-brainer that that very thing would come in for a bit of a rough ride. I think it's therefore a no-brainer that when we seek to launch a, a new bridgehead or become outposts as God's people in a new place, a.k.a. a church plant, a.k.a. all of us, that as we seek to advance the gospel and the kingdom of God and to do the stuff and not just talk about it, I think it's a no-brainer that we come in for some kind of resistance. And again, I don't tell you that because I want to stir up any kind of curiosity or stir up fear, but to equip us for what we are walking through. Because the church takes the hit. Revelation 12 describes believers' triumph over Satan, but it also describes Satan trying to destroy the church. Satan's design for destroying the church takes the form in that case of severe persecution on an occasion outright martyrdom. 
This was the point of Revelation 12, verse 4, where it says, where he swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. Satan's attempt to bring down the church typically and often takes the form of launching an assault against the members with some kind of guilt or accusation. That's what we see in Revelation there in verse 10. But by the goodness and by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the current intercessory ministry of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, you can read it, Romans 8 and 1 John 2, all such accusations fall flat and carry no weight in the courtroom of heaven. If, if you, from anything I've said, live in fear or anxiety or feel burdened by it, I would just remind you of that. All of it falls flat because of Jesus. Looking at Revelation, Satan turns his attention to persecuting the woman, which is the representation of the church, the bride of Christ, see it in Revelation 12, and seeks to make war on the rest of her offspring. Verse 17. We know that's a reference to Christians because John kind of says it. He says to those who keep the commandments of God and hold on to the testimony of Jesus. You know, perhaps the single greatest threat Satan poses to the world is diverting the devotion of worship of people everywhere away from Jesus and to himself. Don't you see that so often in so many ways? That's ultimately what idols are. Hence we see in Revelation 13, and they worship the dragon, they worship Satan, for he had given authority to the beast. They worship the beast and they said this, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? This clearly refers to the devotion of the unbelieving world to anything and anyone other than Jesus. The power and the influence of the beast in whatever form it manifests is grounds for their declaration concerning what they see to be the beast's incomparable authority. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Then you even find the terminology fascinating because throughout the Old Testament, that is the exact language that is used and attributed to Yahweh. Exodus 8, Deuteronomy 3, Isaiah 40, Psalm 35, it all says the same thing. That's the language. He robs the language of the kingdom and tries to distort it. The beast makes war on the saints and seeks to conquer them. That's what it says in Revelation 13, 7. These verses simply portray what we see again and we see again and we see again throughout the book of Revelation, that, the, the, that Satan's blasphemy of God and persecution of his people throughout the present church age, the statement to make war, that's the language that it uses, verse 7. It doesn't necessarily that the beast organizes literal armed conflict with the church, but rather that he has a view that the beast has a hatred for the church and it is his, it is his or its efforts to undermine everything the church does and everything the church believes. So when John says that the beast will conquer the saints, he doesn't mean necessarily that the people of God would give up and lose their faith, but that they may suffer at the hands of the enemy, of the beast and his cohorts. And again, I'm not trying to, I don't want to be doom and gloom. I don't want to leave you in a defeated place. I want to move us on to what it is to be an empowered church. But we have to be awake to what is going on. I don't, I don't know, but it, in one sense, this feels uncomfortable for me to talk to you about this. 
I don't know how many times you would have been in settings like this and heard somebody talk about it, but we've got to understand it because we've got to know that we're people that are resisting. And if you're going to give all that you've got to Christ, to his church and his cause, and if you're going to be people that fully live out empowered lives and empowered faith, we've got to know and we've got to realize that there is some form of resistance going on. What is key is that we see it, we acknowledge it, and we do something about it. For some of you, it's been housing dynamics that are just constantly and relentlessly obstructed. For some of you, it is health dynamics that take you out persistently, tantalizing job opportunities that pull you away, an apathy or a painful, lingering prior experience of the church. Or I, you see it so often, I'm just, I'm just kind of here just to drop the kids off. Really here for me. Just thought it'd be good to bring them. Oh, you're like, my wife loves it, but... You know, remaining wrapped up in pain and brokenness and bitterness and resentment and relational tension and conflict and insecurity and being consumed with things and stuff. And, you know, I've just got to do this job and that job then becomes the more important thing. I'm not saying it's all the enemy. Please don't hear me saying that, but goodness me. I'd be foolish if I didn't try and help us see that that's his role. His role is to kill and to destroy. And he's trying to stop you stepping in. He will try and actively resist you leading small groups, walking out your discipleship alongside others, being in small groups, sharing your faith, living with the authority that Christ gives you. Of course it is because he's resisting it. I said it last week, and it's often subtle. It often starts small, and it often snowballs. But 1 John 3, verse 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. The place I started is, would it be our focus is on him and him alone? But as we press into him, we have to have an awareness that there is a clash of the kingdoms. And one of the enemy's little tricks is we start to settle for what is. We start to live with and we start to accommodate and we start to explain pain. And we explain the problem and we explain the relational breakdown. Oh, it's just because of this. And I just want to be here this morning to remind you that we shouldn't. And we can't. And we won't because Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. If we want to see more of him, we need to see more of the works that he came to do. Why don't we stand together and that's exactly what we'll do. Well, let's just spend some time in the presence of God. Why don't you, if you feel comfortable, why don't you just close your eyes? First of all, let's just turn our eyes to and our attention to Jesus, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who is praying for us and interceding for us every single day. Let's just remind ourselves and steady ourselves in the knowledge that he is on the throne. Jesus, I just thank you 
Thank you that you came so that we would have life. Thank you that you paid the ultimate price that we would be free and that you long for our freedom. So we're just going to we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. We want to see what he wants to do in this place. But straight away, I just want to um, invite some of you forward. Some of you who feel, you just know you are, um, you're under it. You're afflicted. There's things on you that need to come off you. There are battles that don't seem to relent. Some of you are weary and fed up. You pray and pray and pray and it feels like it doesn't change. But we're asked and we're called to keep praying and keep petitioning. And as a, as a family, as a, as a church family, we just love to come alongside one another. To pray for each other, to, to reach out for the freedom that is, that is available to us. So I know it's a, it's a vulnerable thing. It's a bit of a, you have to be a bit, bit brave. But for some of you, just, just come out to the front now. Those of you who just know there's things on you that need to come off. Just desperate for freedom. And as you come out, we honour you and we love you and we're going to come alongside you and pray for you. I think there's probably a few more, so we'll just give you a bit longer to just make your way out of your, your seats. I just think there's a number of things like the, the enemy sort of like accumulates for some of you it's anxieties for some of you it's like a there's an, a, a mental emotional wrestle for some of you it's disturbed dreams disturbed sleep some of you it's something that is on your children we, we make these things bigger than they are just little cockroaches that we present before the Lord I think all he asks us to do is put our stuff on the table before him and allow his light to shine on it so Lord shine light Shine the light of Jesus. Precious Jesus, come. Come. We've still got We've still got some people waiting, so if you're in a small group in the life of the church, please come and um, stand alongside these people and come and pray for them.
Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.